G'day, my name's Peter. Um, I'm one of the leaders here at the church and uh, I get to speak today. Uh, I wonder, uh, let me just open with this, I wonder what you think you need today. People come to church and they um, have in their head something that they think they need. You've got a situation in your life that you think you need uh, resolving, there's a relationship that's difficult. Um, what, what do you need? What, what would make your life okay today? Well, I'm going to tell you what you need. It's my job. You need God to speak to you. That's what you need. That's what you need. Uh, the Old Testament, uh, it specifically says uh, about the Israelites, God says, I let them actually wander in the wilderness and get hungry because I want to teach them that they needed me and what I say more than food. And that, that's true for you today. So you, you kind of, if you're anything like me, you come to church, you go, I'd like this to be resolved, I'd like this to be fixed. No, what you actually need is you need God to communicate with you today through his written word and through the Holy Spirit uh, teaching you on the inside. So I'm just going to pray and ask uh, that God would just kind of clear away any of the needs that we think we need. I mean, that's, that's the Bible, isn't it? The, the Bible's kind of like people come to God with what they think they need and he's continually telling them, no, this is actually what you do need, I'm going to give you this. Uh, so I'm going to pray that God uh, would help us to kind of zero in on that. Why don't you pray with me? God, you're, uh, you're really good. You're a talker. Uh, you, you talked and a giraffe happened. Your, your word is powerful and incredibly creative. We scientists have not yet plumbed the depths of what your word can do in its creative sense. And so today, God, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to cheapen you speaking today. We don't want to say, yeah, I'll hear that, I'll listen to that once this thing's sorted out. No, that, your voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon, the, uh, the psalmist says. Just snap a tree right in half. We need you to speak to us more than we need our stuff sorted out today. In fact, that's going to precede any sorting out of our stuff anyway. And so, God, we, uh, we just ask that you just quarantine this next 40, 45 minutes or so to, uh, to say everything that you would want to say to us. Amen. What would it be like if you got up in the morning and you had a 20, like magic happened and you had a 24-hour period where you didn't care about other people's opinions at all? Didn't have any impact on your life. I think about that. Didn't do anything to you. It's just like, doesn't matter to me today. I'm going to have a full 24 hours where I'm just, it's kind of like the, the immunity necklace, you know, in Survivor. It's like, I've got the immunity necklace. Other people's opinions are completely irrelevant to me today. What would that be like? What about having a whole day without even thinking once about other people's approval? Now, some of you sitting there and you go, yeah, I don't care what anyone thinks. All right, now that's a whole nother problem. Okay, and we're not going there today, right? But it is a whole other problem, right? There's people who just go, oh, I couldn't care less about other people. And they don't have many friends. Who knows that's true? You see, one of the things that I've noticed in working in a church is um, people that are really good at pastorally caring for other people tend to be people who struggle with the opinions of other people. You get what I'm saying? Like they somehow God's wired them in a way that it's just like the way that they're affecting other people and the way their ability to read other people um, seems to be really strong but then it kind of gets twisted and and that and it just kind of gets all messy kind of for them you know and in, in a sense it's like if you want to get someone who's going to be a really good pastoral carer 
I think generally, not all, all the time, but generally you go to people who are sensitive to the opinions of others because if you can help them to work through that, they're actually going to be really good at working with people. The people who just go, oh, I couldn't care less what anyone else thinks, probably need to be working in an office somewhere, all right? So we're just going to keep you away from people. Or maybe not quite that bad, but you know what I'm saying, all right? There's some administrative people who are really skilled with working with people. But if they're people like that, it's like work with a machine, all right? If someone's having a tragedy in their life, we probably don't want you to be the one that's kind of right in the mix, unless, of course, they're willing to learn and grow and get good at working with people. Um, so you've got this struggle. Now, I wanna, this is a little epiphany that I had, right? I think that God originally created human beings, and this is not, this is not a quote from the Bible, but you can test this one, right? I reckon God originally created human beings to be sensitive to the impact that they have on other people so that they could love them. All right? And I think there's people like that. I think there's a lot of people who just like, I'm really sensitive to the way that you're reacting to me and I can read how you're reacting to me really well so that I can love you. You with me on that? And it's kind of like Paul says in the New Testament. He says, uh, I will be all things to all men so that I might win some. What's he doing? He's saying, I will morph myself so that I can love you. That's what I'll do. All right? But what I reckon actually happens is sin, disobedience to God gets in and messes with that and corrupts it, right? So that approval of other people becomes really critical to us. So instead of us being created to see how we're affecting other people so we can love them, we're now in a situation where we're reading how the other person's responding to us so that we can love ourselves. You get what I'm saying? It's, and it's kind of... And that's kind of what sin does, right? It's the old Latin phrase, incurvitus in se, which means to curve in on oneself. That's kind of what it does. So now this gifting to read how other people are going is not for their purpose, for their love, but it's actually curving back on me so that I can feel okay about myself. And who likes living under the judgment of other people's opinions? <laughs> no one does, right? Who here is sitting there and you're going, yeah, look, I'm, uh, I'm one of those people that doesn't care about other people's opinions. Is anyone here one of those? Uh, so here's a, now you've just got yourself into a trap, right? Because if there's some of you out there and you're thinking that, you've just given in to other people's opinions, right? In the first service, I'm not even making this up, there was like two or three people, when I first asked that question, put their hand half up. I said, ah, gotcha, on that one. It's like, if you're serious and you didn't care, wouldn't you just go, yep, that's me. What's this half thing? All right, I'm going to help you even more, all right? Some of you... Uh, Maybe I need to pray in a minute so some of you can leave if you, this is uncomfortable for you. Is everyone okay so far? Let me give you some questions. Just to see if other people's opinions of you actually have any kind of impact on you. Here's the first one. Do you buy clothes because of what other people will think? Have you ever not gone somewhere because you didn't have the right clothes or didn't like the way you looked? Do you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror? Do you avoid people either because you are angry with them or because you would be embarrassed if they saw you? Do you ever get embarrassed to be seen with your parents? Some of you adults even. It's like, yes, I do. That's a special privilege of a uh, parents of teenagers, isn't it? It's like you've got to leverage that. Right? Like, let's just embarrass the heck out of them because that will be fun. All right? They're embarrassed of you. You're Anyway. Have you ever been embarrassed to say you believe in God? Have you ever been embarrassed to say you believe in Jesus? 
Do you ever exaggerate to make yourself look better? Ah, you see a bit of writer's embellishment. Do you feel like a failure sometimes? Do you hate school because from the moment you walk in, you feel like a failure? Are you afraid to ask questions in class because you might look stupid? Do you wish you were thinner, stronger, taller, shorter, smarter, faster or better looking? Have you ever been jealous of someone thinner, stronger, taller, shorter, smarter, faster or better looking? Have you ever wished you could shrivel up and disappear? Is that you? If it's you, if one of those is you, and I could keep asking questions, um, other people's opinions have an impact upon you. I mean, one of the words, as I was... See, this is a thing, like preachers need to listen to the stuff they're preaching, right? So last, last service, I actually said a word, and I just thought, I think that word is for me, and it wasn't in my planning, but the word is trimmed. Where do you get trimmed by other people's opinions? Yeah, it's one thing to kind of be trimmed, like you don't want to... You don't want to be an obnoxious kind of person, right? That's not loving the people, all right? So you can get trimmed for the sake of someone else to love them, right? But where do you get trimmed in your life? Where, where are you less than what you're meant to be because you're just getting trimmed all the time by other people's opinions and you don't want to be ridiculous or embarrassing? I want to show you a, um, a quick uh, clip. This was from Inside. It was a, uh, a show where they focused on anxiety and you'll see a young lady talk about uh, approval and what it means to her. Can you just click that video for me, please, dear? Amanda, I, I want to talk to you because uh, you loved debating at school, didn't you? Yeah. Did that make you anxious? No, not at all. Um, I've never really been scared of public speaking. It was more social situations where I didn't have control over what people actually thought of me and people's other, other impressions of me. Um, I think that was what really scared me, how other people would actually perceive me and think of what I was like as a person rather than just, say, as a team member or as somebody who was part of an argument. Mm, who had a role yeah. of some kind. When did that anxiety start for you? Do you remember? Uh, it started in about grade four. Um, so, yeah, it went for several years. Um, How bad did that get for you? It got to the point I couldn't go out in public. You know, social situations became just the scariest thing for me. I couldn't handle any of it. So a real fear of disapproval yeah. was, was at the centre of it. Pretty intense, right? Like, she's kind of enslaved by this fear of uh, disapproval. Now, there's a whole bunch of things going on in there, and I, I don't want to oversimplify it, right? It's just really interesting there that she actually makes the comment early on, and she said, I could handle being in context where I felt like I could control the opinions that other people had of me but as soon as I got into a situation where I couldn't control it it controlled her did you notice that that's kind of what actually uh, was going on there now let me um let me just throw one more thing in before we get into the uh the, the text today we are I think it's probably safe to say we're in a post-christian culture okay um They've probably been heading that way for a good while. I, I heard recently a, uh, a leading uh, evangelical Anglican in Sydney talk about how the sun has set on uh, the Christian culture in Australia. Um, and we're in post-Christian culture now. We're in a very interesting hour. It's only um, just recently that uh, John Howard published this uh, article. It was published, um, written by him and published in The Australian 
I uh, just want to read a few paragraphs. This is only about a week ago. He says, uh, John Howard has sounded an alarm about the culture war in Australia, warning that people are being cowed into uh, stating their views on issues and that a dangerous anti-religious push has emerged and branded as pernicious. The Victorian government's hostility to religious connections in schools. I'll just skip the next one. Uh, next paragraph down. In relation to gay marriage, Mr Howard said, there is nothing homophobic about supporting traditional marriage. Everyone did in the parliament in 2004. May I remind you that in 2004, when I inserted the definition of the Marriage Act, the Labor Party supported it. You ought to be able to have sensible discussion on these sorts of things and you should be able to express a view on these things. But there's a sense in which people are so frightened of being accused of being discriminatory or intolerant that they don't speak the common sense view. It's about to get very dark, I think, in our culture. And one of the things that's quite clear in our culture is that you and I, if you love Jesus, are going to be in trouble. And people are not going to like what, is, uh, what we actually say and what we actually stand for. One of the things that's actually happened is there's been a switch over in the uh, definition of the terms tolerance and intolerance. Okay? You can't actually be tolerant of someone unless you disagree with them. So what's tolerance? Tolerance is, I disagree with you, but I love you. Intolerance is, I disagree with you and I'm out to get you. Now, what's actually happening now in our culture is that Christians can actually stand up and say, listen, I disagree with you, but I love you. And they say, that's intolerance. Because you're not allowed to have an opinion that's outside of the cultural standards where things are going culturally at the moment. Now, some of you may or may not have seen Q&A on uh, Monday night. Q&A, um, the guy second from the left there, his name's Lyle Shelton. He's actually the son of Ian Shelton, who's the senior pastor of Toowoomba City Church, which we were planted out of. Uh, and he went on there and they were going to talk about the safe schools uh, thing. They were going to talk about um, uh, gay marriage and adoption uh, of, of kids for, uh, for gay couples. And uh, pretty much he's on a hiding to nothing from the get-go. All right? Uh, thought he handled himself pretty well. I think there was an argument that he tried to get up part of the way through where I thought it was probably a bit of an over overreach, like it was a bit hard to get up in that kind of context. Uh, but you know what ends up happening most of the time? When you say something that doesn't fit in with the cultural consensus is you get attacked personally, all right? And it's, it, it, it's pretty much, most of the time, that's how it rolls. I mean, if you read and watch any Richard Dawkins stuff, he just thinks you're an idiot if you're a Christian, all right? And he'll tell you that. And he's, you th he thinks you're stupid. So it'll kind of be, he's an atheist, scientist. Uh, he, he'll he just resorts to name-calling, really, is what it is. Um, so, my question for you is, are you up for it? Are you up for it? What if it comes to that? Would, would you go on Q&A? On a hiding to nothing? You know, I mean, isn't it interesting that the Labor Party... And I'm not wanting to be political in any way, right? It's just interesting that the Labor Party all voted for the amendment to the Marriage Act in 2004 and now the whole thing has switched around and what's changed is the mood in culture, the mood in society. So the question for you is when culture changes, when people's opinions about you change, are you able, are you prepared, are you prepared to take the hit to stay true to what you know is true? Would you go on the show? See, some people here, probably you're sitting there and you're going, um, I don't have any issues with the opinions of other people. And I would suggest that a lot of you, if you're saying that, you're probably playing the game too safely. 
you're probably not taking enough risks and you're not out there enough all right and i'm not saying being out there to be irritating okay there's enough irritating christians out there does everyone know what i'm talking about we don't need any more irritating christians okay but it is going to come down to the point a bunch of times where it's like do you love jesus yes i do well you're an idiot and we're not going to treat you very nicely are you going to be able to stick with jesus or are you going to waver So today what I want to do is uh, we're going to look at most of uh, Mark 14. So uh, I just need a couple of volunteers to hand out these sheets, if that's all right. Good on your sharpness. That's good, mate. This guy's sharp, isn't he? Sorry, it's a bad joke. It's his last name, all right? Actually, Sam, could I just grab one of those? Thanks. Anyone here ever been in a mosh pit? All right, you, what happens in a mosh pit? You get, you get killed. That's one thing that happens. All right, you get your eyes poked. and What, what actually happens? People are kind of just crashing into each other, right? A lot of time in a mosh pit. Is that right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Does anyone here not even know what a mosh pit is? So you need an education. A mosh pit is like down the front of a concert where people just go nuts. Uh, and just kind of crash into each other and dance and sweat all over each other, really, is pretty much what happens. Ray Hinks knows all about that. So uh, what, we're gonna, what I want you to see, we're just going to read through an extended section in Mark 14, right? And I'd love, you're welcome to take this home. You can highlight some things if you need to do that and take it home. But what I want you to see is that uh, Mark 14 is a real kind of mosh pit of people's opinions, and there's a bunch of people in there and they're kind of crashing into each other and pushing each other and shoving each other. Uh, and it's just a really interesting uh, thing to look at as a whole, which is why I've, I've given the whole chapter to you. What I'd like you to do is, um, is start reading with me. You don't have to read out loud, but just follow as I read. I'm going to start at verse 26, which is the small numbers there. And the large number at the top is a chapter number, um, if you're new to it. Uh, but we're going to start at 26. Last week we looked at communion and the Lord's Supper. And I'll just make a few comments as we go through. And when they had sung a hymn, this is verse 26 there, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. So what's happened? They've had, Jesus has kind of kicked off the first communion. They've had the Passover celebration. They're probably walking up to uh, Gethsemane and they're having a chat and a uh, pretty cheerful chat, this one. You guys are all going to desert me, all right? Now, straight off the bat, two verses in, already we've got someone jostling and pushing, in a sense, uh, about some of this, this whole consideration about other people's opinions, right? Jesus is already at some level. I mean, he knows it's coming. He's getting bumped by the fact that everyone's going to desert him and fall away. You'll all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. We know the end of the story and you just go, that's, that's pretty bold call. Uh, and Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night. I mean, let's just back up a bit. What did Peter just say? Didn't he just say to Jesus, no, you're actually wrong. <laughs> it's like, seriously, like just a tip for you, right? If you ever think God's wrong, you're in trouble, all right? There's, there's a problem there. Peter said to him, uh, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I'll not deny you. And they all said the same. I mean, just, just pause for a moment and just imagine being Jesus. Do you know what I mean? It's like, he knows what's coming. He knows he's going to get absolutely forsaken. Is he going to get jostled and shoved and pushed and trimmed by what other people are going to do to him or not? There's already that kind of question that's kind of just hanging around there. Over the page here, verse 32. I went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. You know what he could see? He could see he was going to the cross. He was going to get the sins of humanity put in his body and then his father was going to punish him for all of that stuff that he didn't do. And it's, it's really getting to him. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. You're not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them doing what? I mean, just get yourself in Jesus' shoes and just contextualize it with the opinions of others. What, it's just like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Do you not even care about me? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, here's a really intense moment where Jesus could big time be affected and trimmed by the opinions of other people. Now, he comes and he finds them sleeping and he says to people, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch, watch one hour? All right? Now, what are we going to do? It's just, I'm looking for a big stick, all right? Because I want to hit him with it. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, man, this is really tough. This is really difficult. He's asleep. Watch and pray, this is verse 38, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. You almost hear Mark here just making a little narrator's comment. It's like their eyes were heavy. It's like it was, they were pretty tired. <laughs> All right. They were wrecked. But still in the middle of that, they just couldn't get it, get it done. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? So, I mean, just imagine that. I mean, the pressure he's under, he's under this, this pressure that's causing his, his skin almost to break down so that he's sweating drops of blood and he comes back. It's like, do you not, don't you even care about me? Can't you even just pull up and just stay awake for a bit? This is pressure. This is really difficult. It could really shape Jesus, couldn't it? Look what happens. He says, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then note this last little section there in verse 42. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Yeah, if you think Jesus is a wuss, right, and you're a blokey bloke, you just want to just hang around over this verse a little bit. You get what I'm saying? There's a group of people coming to kill him and he goes toward them. He goes to them. Like that is, that is really gutsy, all right? Anyway, we'll keep going. Get back to that a bit later. And immediately... While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And just pull up here. Like we, if you've been in the church long enough, you're just going, Yeah, okay, Jesus got betrayed by Judas. Uh, he got some coin for it. Yeah, and that's kind of how it happens. Jesus got killed on the cross, right? And the other night I was saying to one of my boys, I said, You know what actually happened to Jesus? 
one of his friends made money out of him. I'm just going, what? He said, yeah, one of his friends made money out of him. He sold him for some money and the people he sold him to knew, he knew they were going to kill him. It's just going. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, what the? Who's doing that? I mean, you even think about that in terms of, you know, the mosh pit of people's opinion. You just go, oh, that's just ordinary. That's, that's difficult, you know. I think a couple of weeks ago, I, was, I suggested based on the spot price of silver back then that he got about 260 bucks for Jesus. Imagine that. What would that do to you? Yeah, approval junkies out there. We've probably got a few in here. What would it do to your sense of approval if, if, you're, if you're Jesus and one of your mates has just sold you to be killed for 260 bucks? Verse 45, And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, Quick little side note. There's a situation going on here where there's this mob that wants to arrest Jesus and there's Jesus' disciples. What are they going to do? Well, one of them decides a really cool thing to do would be to try and kill some people. All right? That would be good. Let's just take his head off. All right? He obviously wasn't a very good shot because he only took his ear. But let's, let's take his head off. And this is one of the things I was really pleased with in... Um, uh, not that it's up to me, but I, I just thought uh, one of the ways that Lyle handled himself on Monday night um, really well was, was the way that he uh, was just gentle and he was softly spoken and when they got fired up and kind of attacked him a bit, he didn't do that back. You see, sometimes you can do stuff and you can be earnest about it, but it can, it can be the wrong thing, can't it? And that's kind of what's, what's going on here is that someone's just going, yeah, let's get them, let's get them at their own game. And Jesus goes, no, that's not what we're actually doing. And you know, it's, you know, I was on a Skype call with Ed Welsh and a couple of other guys this week and um, he made this comment and he said, never, ever, ever, ever get angry at an angry person. Why? Because your anger legitimises their anger and they get angrier. And this is kind of a little bit of what's going on here, not so much the anger thing, but it's like, let's just retaliate with the same thing and Jesus goes, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Uh, verse... Um, 48 there and Jesus said to them have you come out as against the robber with swords and clubs to capture me day after day I was with you in the temple teaching you you did not seize me why didn't they seize him in the temple this is where you can throw in so we're in the mosh pit again right if they do it in the temple People see him and there's an uproar and they'll be offended by it. So they're coming out at night, in the dead of night, to do this thing because they're getting bumped by this whole thing about other people's opinions and just getting away with what they want to get away with. But let the scriptures be fulfilled, verse 50 there, and they all left him and fled. I mean, just pause on that. It's like, gone. All the disciples gone. It's like, we're not with you anymore. You know, we try... One of us tried to take someone's head off. You didn't like that. And now you're arrested. It's just not working for us, so we're gone. I mean, just think about the pressure that that would apply. And then verse 51, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body. Now, most commentators think this is Mark. Now, there's, there are male um, euphemisms to describe this kind of attire, but basically he's got no underwear on, right? 
um, and he's and he's there, and uh, it looks like he's he's hanging with Jesus. So you can imagine they've they've arrested Jesus. They're walking. Maybe the 300 metres down the track, Jesus has kind of got a couple of soldiers on either side. There's a, a scuffle back over here. And what is it? Well, it's Mark. Maybe. That's what they think. It's Mark. They've grabbed him. And there's a scuffle. And then you hear the tear of material. And then he does a needy run into the night. Do you get what I'm saying? I can imagine if you're, uh, you're Jesus, it's like that guy would rather run off naked than be stuck with me. It's more pressure, isn't it? Uh, verse 53 and they led jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together let us see this in verse 54 and peter had followed him at a distance you see that it's just like peter's affections for jesus starting to bubble up a little bit you know he's just going well i i kind of want to be connected but i'm not want to be directly connected i just want to be able to be in the shadows enough and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, the, the Gospel of John tells us that Peter was with another disciple and the other disciple knew the high priest. And so he got him in. Right? He got the backstage pass. He's, uh, the other disciple was Peter's backstage pass. So here's the deal. You're in this place. You're in this courtyard. And it's a pretty big courtyard. And uh, Peter's kind of sitting in the corner, but he can hear what's going on. And he can see what's going on with this trial of Jesus. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Listen to this, verse 56, for many bore false witness against him. Do you, do you like that when people do that? It's like, just make something up and just tell it publicly about you. Has anyone ever had that happen? It's like, that's not true. You know, what, well, what do you want to do on the inside? It's just like, I want to get out there and I want to talk to every single person who heard that and every person that they've spoken to to set the record straight because that's not true. This is kind of what's going on here. People, imagine that. I mean, it just, wouldn't you just, I mean, some of us would just go, no, 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 that's not true. You just start yelling. You just, you just want to get in and shut up. That's not true. Where's my solicitor? Where's my defense attorney, my queen's counsel? Many bore false witness against him, but the testimony did not agree. Verse 57, And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And at this point, the high priest kind of kicks in. He stands up in the midst and asks Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And what about the majestic silence of Jesus? What about that? It says there, but he remained silent and made no answer. He didn't defend himself. So you know what happens? The high priest just goes, oh, you blokes are losers. You can't pull this whole prosecution thing together, so I'm going to take over. That's kind of what he does. The high priest asked him again, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? So just think about this even. The high priest has just come out. The representative of God in the nation has come out and said, blasphemy. He's torn his clothes. You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Imagine that. Everyone. Yep, kill him. 
He's got to go. And then verse 65 there. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him. You know where that comes from? There's a messianic prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 11, written about 800 years before he came. Listen to this. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. You see what they're doing? Get a bag, man. Get a potato sack. Let's stick it on his head and then we'll beat the life out of him and see if he knows he's punching him. It's a mosh pit. It's a mosh pit. They began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And then as if the camera just pans away from Jesus at that point in time, we go across to Peter. What's he up to? Well, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Now, I tried to find out how old a servant girl would be. Couldn't find it. I would think we're probably talking less than 13. So you got gruff fisherman Peter, tradie, 13-year-old at the most, probably. It's not a fair fight, is it? (laughs) But she's going to come and niggle him. Listen to what she says. She looked at him and said, you were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Now, you better believe she's not just, this is not conversation. She's not doing small talk here. She's saying, whenever, whenever Jesus gets called a, a Nazarene, it's an insult, right? You're with that Nazarene, that Jesus. Peter denied it, saying, I don't neither know nor understand what you mean. He went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, what's she doing now? Well, she's a really irritating little girl, isn't she? It's like, how annoying. She's an annoying girl, right? She's going to, I'm not saying all girls are annoying, but she's an annoying girl for Peter, right? She's gone over here and she's gone to get a posse, hasn't she? She's gone, come on, guys, you saw him, didn't you? It's just like prosecution by maybe a 13-year-old at the most. She began to say again to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself. Now some commentators actually say the curse that he's actually putting on himself is he's cursing by the name of God. Now just think about the weird irony going on there, right? He's swearing by God that he has nothing to do with God. That's basically what he's saying. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. I lied to a pastor once. Is that a bad thing? Come on, come on, give me something here. I lied to a pastor once. I'm serious. Is that a bad thing? (laughs) So there was this, uh, this is about 15, 16 years ago, there was this uh, pastor and I was working in the school here and uh, he used to come and drop into the school a bit and uh, one day, you know, we were both into music a bit and he said, hey, I've got this really cool band I've been listening to, um, do you want to, you know, I'll give you the CD, you can have a listen to it, right? Kind of, he does CDs anymore, but shows my age. So he, um, he gives me this CD and do you know what? I actually wasn't that interested in the CD. 
Do you know, this is one of those ones like, you're going to give me the CD and I'm going to put it on my shelf and not listen to it because I'm not that interested in it, but I don't want you to think I'm not interested in it because I want you to like me. You with me? So he gives me the CD and then like 10 days later, you know what he does? He comes up and he goes, hey, how's that CD going? (laughs) What do you do then? Well, you lie about it, right? It's obvious. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Not really. But that's what happened. He came up to me, he said, oh, how's that CD? And I was going, eh, you know that one? So I'm not saying anything about, eh, like that. And he goes, what about that song, My Car Makes Me Sin? I was going, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just lied to him. See, other people's opinions can make you do strange, strange things, can't they? I'm doing uh, some research at the moment and... Um, I, uh, I'm, doing, I'm just studying a doctorate and uh, one of the things you have to do when you do that is you've got to go and do um, presentations of where your research is up to at a research colloquium, right? Which is basically code for the fact they get all these smart guys that are smarter than you in there and you've got to talk like you know what you're talking about, all right? That's basically what, how it rolls. So I'm three months into my doctorate. I know Jack, right? Really. That's, that's just the bottom line. I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about and my supervisor says to me, I think you should give a presentation. Just going, yeah, I think I should lie under a lawnmower. That would be a good thing to do too, all right? Uh, anyway, I thought, well, if this is what you're supposed to do, this is what I'll do. So I went down there and I, uh, I gave this presentation at this research colloquium. And uh, do you know the best metaphor I've got for it is like, you know, a horse and cart cart? Like a steel cart that's made out of steel panels and bolts being dragged by a horse for 800 k's. It was just like... The thing was just shaking and the bolts and nuts were falling off and panels were falling off and probably at the end of it, the only thing left were the two kind of things attached to the horse, you know, and they're just dragging along the ground. I said stuff that I don't even agree with theologically, <laughs> all right? I'm serious. I said, I said one thing and I've just gone, I don't even agree with that. Why am I saying that right now? And I was saying it like I agree with it. The, the fear of other people's opinions, look, it can mess with you, right? It can turn you into a coward. It can enslave you. We can be really wired toward the, uh, the approval of other people, can't we? And you know, the thing that really kind of can get stuck in your craw is how pathetic the process is by which other people come to their opinions about you. Have you ever thought about that? Like, it's really, really pathetic, and yet this thing actually comes and it rules you. Do you know uh, in the Gospel of, uh, of John, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how this woman cracked this this nard on Jesus that was worth so much money and she was criticised. I mean, you know, and we haven't even gone to the first part of, you know, Mark 14 where there's all this jostling of people's opinions and pressure that people are putting on each other. But if you go to John 12 verse 4 to 6, 4 to 6 this is what it says about the scorn and the criticism that came toward this lady. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Do you see that? When you go back in verse uh, 4 and 5 of Mark 14, there you can see it yourself, like that criticizer. And it's like she at that moment could actually cave into that criticism she could give power to the opinions of other people but their opinion is just so flaky it's so ridiculously flaky and fickle he was motivated 
find money. Let's um, just going to skip through here. One thing I'd love you to see just in Mark 14 today, and this is, uh, we're going to close pretty quickly here, is there's this bustling and jostling and pressing of people's opinions, but there's actually two people in Mark 14 that don't get affected by it. Who are they? Jesus is one of them. Who's the other one? Yeah, yeah. The woman with the nard. You see it? Like there's all these other people just getting bounced and bumped by uh, the opinions of others and there's two that don't. So the question I want to ask you is this, why don't they? You've got this amazing thing at the end of, uh, in a negative way, at the end of Mark 14 there about how Peter denies Jesus. You know, and, and you get the sense there, it's like he wants to be close to Jesus, people start giving him a bad rap and you notice there, uh, what verse is it? You have a look at it, flick over to uh, the back of your page there. The end of verse 68 there. You see, after the first time, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean, and he went out into the gateway. You see that? The more Peter is susceptible to other people's opinions, the more it actually pushes him away from Jesus. Emotionally, but also physically on this particular night. You see... What you see with Peter there at the end, and we've gone through it pretty well, but what you see Peter at the end is that he fears other people's opinions of him. And look at what it did to him. Look at what fearing other people's opinions actually does to you. Look at what it does to your freedom, your reputation, your holiness. Look even at what it does to Jesus. You see, you get to the end of uh, Mark's description of peter's denial look at the last sentence there it's just a harrowing sentence isn't it it says and he broke down and he wept and in luke 22 luke describes it even in a more rich way than that he says uh, but peter said man i do not know what you were talking about and immediately while he was still speaking the rooster crowed listen to this and the lord turned and looked at peter oh, can you just even imagine that moment i mean for Peter, and this is, the, this is what fear of man does to you, right? In the heat of the moment, you make what you think is a really wise decision. And then after it, you just go, that was really, really dumb to do that. Like if you look in this chapter, you go, the two wise people in this whole chapter are the woman and Jesus. Those are the people that make good decisions, but they look dumb in the moment. They look wise now. Everyone who made what they thought was a wise decision in the moment looks dumb now, right? That's what fear of man can do to you. So let me ask you this question. How are Jesus and this woman able to handle the pressure? How can Jesus handle the betrayal by his friend? How can Jesus handle the chief priest, the the going to the cross? I mean, even the, the thought going forward that he was going to end up on the cross and him taking the sins of the world meant that him and his father... We're going to be the relationship at some level is going to be breached there. How is Jesus actually doing that? You know what I think the answer to that is? 
It's this section in Mark 14. You've got it on your page here if you want to have a look at, there, look at it there. It's starting at verse 32. What's Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's connecting with his Father. He's connecting with a reality that's bigger and stronger than the most fearful thing that he actually faces. And you notice the wording that is actually used in verse 36 there. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you see that? He's actually got this connection to something greater than the largest pressures that he's actually got, and it steadies him. And he's not doing this anymore. He's not kind of fishtailing down the road like everyone else is. He's staying true. Do you see that? And, he's, and, and it's a close relationship. It's not just God's big and I've got to be scared because he might get me. It's like Abba, which in Aramaic means daddy. There's an intimacy about it. And God, the father, he was just anchored on him. That was kind of the fulcrum that he was operating from. That was his support. That was his pivot point, was his father. He wasn't pivoting on everyone else's opinions. He was pivoting on his father. Now, do you see the connection between Jesus and the woman? That's what she's doing too. She's pivoting on Jesus. She's pivoting on God. It's like, you are the most important thing in my world. I'm going to give you a $40,000 flask of nard. And she pivots on him. And what happens? She goes true. In the middle of all this pressure, in the middle of criticism and people scorning her, she goes true. She's not fishtailing down the road, is she? She's going true. She's going straight. She's not being trimmed by the pressures of people's opinions around her. And so we see at the end of Mark 14, this harrowing contrast between Jesus and Peter. You know, you've got Jesus on trial. I am, he says. I am straight as a die, strong, confident. He knows who he is. He's not getting trimmed and shaped by people's opinions. And over in the corner, Peter. He's not. He's fishtailing down the road. He's flopping all over the place. The pressure comes on. What does he do? He says, I don't know him. And then he slinks back. I'm just going to go into the gate where it's a bit darker and people won't see me. At the same time that Jesus is straight, straight. Do you want to be like that? Do you want to be like that? Do you want to be straight like that? Like Some of you like your fishtail all over the place and it's like you need to stop fishtailing. Well, how are you going to stop fishtailing? Well, you've got to anchor into something. You've got to pivot on something that's bigger than the thing that you fear. Do you get that? The answer to fear is fear. That's what it is. If you fear things hurting you, you need something bigger than the fears that you're worried about hurting you. Now, let me give you some good news. Want some good news? If you get pivoting on God like that, like Jesus did and like the woman did, you know what? You'll be able to do what Jesus did you'll be able to walk toward trouble. You'll be able to walk toward trouble. See, Jesus actually teaches people, teaches Christians. He's, he's kind of the first Christian martyr. He says, this is how you do martyrdom. 
You don't run away from it. You don't fear it because God's bigger and your connection with God is what is critical and you could actually go toward people who are going to kill you and you could do it with some strength. So let me ask you just at this point, what supports you? What's your pivot? Is it the depth of relationship with an amazing God? Or is it the, the opinions of other people? What props you up? You see, fear of man makes you do dumb things, right? And you do dumb things, I'm sure many of you know this, like if you do dumb things under pressure from the opinions of others, that's going to get exposed at some point in time. And I think when Jesus comes back, a whole bunch of decisions that all of us have made are just going to look really dumb. All right? It's just going to look really, really stupid. Do you want to be like this woman? Do you want to have that kind of strength that you can just go and not flop all over the place? Well, let me give you this encouragement. I think you can. I'm confident in you. All right? Is anyone with me? It's like you could actually do this. You could do this. Let me tell you why I think that you can. Do you know what happened to the disciples? Well, Thomas got stabbed with a spear. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Peter was threatened to be crucified. He said, no, I'm not worthy to be crucified the normal way up. Crucify me upside down. So that's what they did. They tried to boil John and they couldn't kill him, so they put him in exile. Matthew was slain by a halberd. Bartholomew was scourged, skinned and crucified. Philip was crucified. Simon was beheaded. One James was thrown down from the temple and was stoned and clubbed to death. The other James had his head taken off and Thaddeus was stoned to death. Listen, and they all fled. Remember that? Not then. What happened? Why? What made it different? If back here they're all running away and they're all going, we're not with him, what happened now? They're all getting their heads taken off, they're getting crucified. Well, listen to Peter. This is 2 Peter 1, verse 16. Listen to him. The chief denier. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They got it. They got to see who God really was. They knew what happened on the cross. They saw the risen Jesus and that was big. That was bigger than everything. It was bigger than death. And what happens? All the disciples, with the only exception being Judas who killed himself, all the disciples are like that. And you could be like that. There's no kind of magic water you've got to drink to be like that. You've just got to get a handle on who God is and be connected with him deeply. And you can be like that instead of like that. I'd like to invite you to stand with me. I'd like us all to uh, read Psalm 27 out loud together. Now, before I do, I've just got to tell you, someone came up to me <laughs> after the first service and, and she said to me, she goes, what you need to say before you do Psalm 27, read Psalm 27 out loud, is just to remind people about whether they care about other people's opinions. 
All right, because she said, I just noticed I could hardly hear anyone saying anything in the film. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like you know, I just preached for like 45 minutes on fear of man. Now, I'm not saying you have to be loud and be annoying, all right? But just, just be who God's calling you to be in it, all right? And uh, we'll read through and I'll pray and uh, we'll finish up. You ready? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Are you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my... For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's good, isn't it? I mean, look at, look at that. My mum and dad can forsake me, but the Lord takes me in. Do you see that? That's that anchor, that pivot. What about this first one here? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Do you know an army encamped against Jesus? You know... Could you not fear if 2,000 Russians came up to the door at the back of this church and you were the only one in here and they were after you and they wanted to kill you? Could you get to a point where you don't fear? Could you? Come on, could you? Yes, yes you could. All right, yes you could. Why do I say that? Because Peter did. Because all the disciples did. You could actually do that. Could you actually say that you love Jesus at work when people think you're an idiot? doing it yes you could you could that's what it does that's what the gospel does that's what the fact that jesus went and he kind of took the hit and he went alone for you means that you can actually do that don't get stuck thinking you're like peter all the time all right the old peter you want to be the post cross peter yeah amen you can do that god's with you Get a vision for him. Set your alarm 30 minutes earlier. Spend time with him. Find out what he's like more. 
I'm going to pray for you. God, we're sorry for showing more respect to human opinions than to you often. Why would we think that a human that lives for 70 years who has a bad night's sleep and loses their temper so easily is more worthy than you? God, we just uh, we get stuck in it. God, we need you to help us to see you for who you truly are. And God, I pray that you'd do that. I pray that you'd anchor us. God, pivot us on you. Not on the fear, not on what could happen to us, but on you and your tender care. Thank you that you are our Abba Father, our Daddy. It speaks of your closeness to us and your help for us. God, I pray that you just help us to have some pockets this week where we live well, pivoting upon you, that you become the fulcrum for our life and your character becomes a fulcrum for our life and not other people's opinions. Help us to be released from some of those areas that bind us and trap us. Amen.